welcome back to the DigiGods podcast. We are uh, once again minus Mark, who is in New York. In unexpectedly. New York. It's cold in New York. Yeah, he's uh, unexpectedly in New York. His job's just yanking him around. Uh, he's got some crazy hours coming up too in the next month or so. So we're gonna, uh, yeah, but we're we're gonna after this we've got a couple more shows and then we uh, we're gonna have our holiday show and roundup, and then we go on hiatus with probably a couple of cleanups in the uh, month of December. So, um, but otherwise, you know, we're we're getting close. The uh, holiday show is gonna be uh, great. I'm not gonna uh, let it be two and a half hours like it has been in the past. We're gonna try to. <laughs> Pare that sucker down a little bit. Um, but, uh, Tim, how was Halloween? How was uh, your Halloween? Uh, quiet. Children don't come uh, to where I live for Halloween. <laughs> and, I, and, frankly, I don't blame them. I, I wouldn't have come to my door either. Well, we we, uh, we took my daughter out uh, trick-or-treating. She was dressed as Sarah from Sarah and Duck, so she oh. had the little stuffed duck uh, and the whole thing. Yeah, we, we, we take her to this uh, this place in the, uh, in the, it's called the Huntington Palisades. Uh-huh. In Pacific Palisades, where uh, there's a competition in the Pacific Palisades, where uh, you can win awards if you if you you know do your house up in the most obnoxious possible way. Yeah. And so these people in this very very ritzy neighborhood, who apparently have way too much money and too much time on their hands, they they go to town like you cannot even imagine. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, anim- animatronic stuff in the lawns and uh, lasers and lights and everything else. It's it's crazy. Now, some people just love Halloween. It's their favorite holiday. One family even had their daughter dressed up as some kind of like a cow-headed demon, and she would pop <laughs> and she would pop out of a coffin on the lawn to scare people. <laughs> you gotta love it. Hey, it's L.A. Probably yeah. the child of a um, special effect. <laughs> Could be. Almost certainly. Fog machines and everything. Anyway, it was a lot of fun. We had, People we just don't do the whole thing like when we were kids. You know, you yeah. literally you just put on your ghost costume, cut the two eyes out of the old yeah. bed sheet or whatever, yeah. put the thing on. Nope. You walk down the street, you knock on the doors. I am amazed. I, I, I was sort of astonished Nobody at how many how many teenage girls I saw going around as Harley Quinn. Yeah. And I thought... Movie still have your, sucks. Have your parents seen the movie? Yeah. Do they? Well, yeah, anyway. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, it is what it is. Well, anyway, we've got, uh, we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about today. Uh, I also want to uh, make mention of the fact that Filmstruck, which is now delayed a few weeks. Filmstruck was supposed to have launched uh, a couple of weeks ago. They wanted a, a couple more weeks to work out the... Um, uh, all of the uh, registration particulars, but I will tell you, having beta tested the stuff that I saw, and it's a, it's apparently going to be significant. Lay that bad. out for me again. Filmstruck. So, Filmstruck, Filmstruck, new streaming service for those uh, who, who have not been following this brand new streaming service, <clears throat> uh, initiated by TCM, and they pulled Criterion Collection in, and uh, the it, it's uh, seven ninety nine a month. It's eleven ninety nine a month if you add the Criterion Collection. They're full streaming, which is not everything in the Criterion. Some things they've lost rights to, but it's everything that they have on Blu-ray and DVD current rights to. It's the full streaming collection, mm-hmm. plus a rotating library of TCM films. Mm-hmm. Not everything TCM. They'll you know switch things in and out to keep it interesting. And uh, they have uh, additionally licensed with Kino, Flickr Alley, First Run Features, um, Milestone, and I talked to Dennis Doris from Milestone the other day too. We're going to have a little interview with him on the holiday show. Mm. And Indican, 
who does a lot of great docs and a lot of great, great classic stuff as well. Five additional major library, sort of indie major indie foreign art film, yeah. you know, and Kino alone is like an amazing yeah. thing. So uh, all those guys, they're all going to be part of it as well. So it's really, it's going to be the place where if you're a film lover, if you're a cinephile, you will just go and Particularly of those thing. sorts of movies. You can, you yeah. can, you can uh, I think Hulu provides a little chunk of Criterion. Yeah. Uh, uh, somewhere in there, but other than that, there's really no place where you're getting. Yeah, no, uh, this is the, this is a big deal. This uh, is a big deal. Yeah, yeah, all right. the, a real cinephile sort of because it's service. because it's curated. That's the thing I love about it. You go on, and it's not like Netflix, where it's just like old movies, new movies, blah blah blah. Mm. You know what you've seen last. It's they 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 actually have someone go in. They create really interesting little thematic corners and corners for filmmakers and auteurs, and you can just it's a fun thing to explore. Well, you need to know something about cinema. Netflix, you don't. Need your grandmother has Netflix because your grandmother doesn't know anything yeah, exactly. about it. So, so, so everything there, and then of course the algorithm chooses films That's for it. folks who watch Netflix yep. based on what they've watched before. Yep. Here, you got to know a little something about movies. You have to know a little something about these kind of movies, but yep. nevertheless, you will still be introduced to things you may not know about or be reminded of things Correct. you know about because the curating is, is, is happening separate. From just what the it algorithm says you watched the last time. So many more people are going to be exposed to so many great filmmakers, great films. Uh, who, they're going to learn. I mean, this is, a, this is like a great film school online. All the stuff that, that you and I saw in film school for the yeah. first time or were exposed to because of professors, this is filling that void. I think it's going to be a, a great, great thing long term. So looking forward to that, probably a couple of weeks away. So hang in there and uh, we will keep you abreast of that. Uh, I'm going to start off with some uh, some classic stuff here. We got a whole bunch of interesting classic movie stuff. A couple of criterions right off the bat. Long as we're talking about uh, Filmstruck and uh, all of that fun stuff, The Executioner is a 1963 film I had never heard of. And this is what I always love it when Criterion and Janus do this. This is from the Janus Library through Criterion. Uh, something that you know they not it's not being put out because it is a great film that everyone knows about and everyone acknowledges. It this is Criterion getting into their occasional mode of we are going to put this out because we think you need to actually see this, and it really is. This is a fantastic black comedy uh, from 1963. Who will replace the executioner? The executioner. This is a Spanish film. Beautiful 4K transfer, and it is incredibly timely as well. Uh, it touches on a lot of really, really interesting uh, political issues that were specific to the era of Franco, mm. but which um, have relevance today in the world, given everything that's going on in Europe in particular. Uh, and it's essentially about a, 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 um, it's a really, really dark comedy about an undertaker who marries the daughter of an executioner and then... Um, basically fulfills his father-in-law's job obligations yeah. so that they don't lose their uh, government uh, their government apartment their government housing um, it is it is it's it's dark and it's cynical and it's so incredibly funny in really awkward and uncomfortable ways um, and how it actually uh, managed to get made uh, a, a, you know, it's sort of a miracle. I mean, it reminds me a little, in some ways, uh, of like uh, *Children of Paradise*, which was mm-hmm. made in Vichy, France, and it was this elaborate broadside against Nazism and the occupation, and uh, 
somehow got made under the, under uh, under the radar. R- and, r- reminiscent of some of the some contemporary films uh, coming out of Iran. Uh, oh yeah, where the Middle East in general. Sure. Uh, uh, this is not a. Uh, this is not a film. This is not a film being. Yeah. One of, yeah, none of yeah. Them, yeah. So that's the executioner. It comes with a whole bunch of really interesting stuff on it. A um, uh, an interview with Pedro Almodovar. Who speaks? Who knows the film very well, and really has an interesting uh, insight in it. Uh, a new uh, new bit on the film. The guy who directed it, Luis Garcia Berlanga, who I'd never heard of. Don't know. Uh, they talked to his son, and they talked to other film critics, and uh, you know people who can sort of speak authoritatively to his career. And then there's a 2009 uh, bit from uh, Spanish television about the film, which is really really interesting. So um, very very interesting discovery. I, I just a really terrific film and. Um, what a great one from Criterion. And then we talked about shortcuts a few weeks ago on uh, DVD. They got us the Blu-ray. And uh, you know what? If you're Obviously, if you're a fan of Raymond Carver or of uh, Robert Altman, Altman, you go yeah. nuts for shortcuts. I it deeply is. love this movie. That's, it, 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 aside from the fact that it's an inside Hollywood movie, this is yeah. 1993. Yeah. Uh, so we were here, and we were inside Hollywood. Uh, you know, True. At, at that time, and how he looks inside Hollywood is kind of scathing about it. it. It is, you know, everything about the everything about the um, these stories is uh, is it sort of splits the interesting difference between Carver and uh, Altman in a really really interesting way, and uh, it's just terrific. Beautiful, beautiful Blu-ray transfer. Um, the a uh, lot of extras here, tons of extras. Conversation with Altman and Tim Robbins from 2004. Uh, Luck, Trust, and Ketchup. Robert Altman in Carver Country, which is a 1993 documentary about the making of the film that I had never even heard of. I had no I idea that, that even either. existed. That's interesting. Yeah, Luck, Trust, and Ketchup. Robert Altman in Carver Country. Really, really interesting uh, look at, into the film. Um, and, you know, it's funny Chris Penn being in this in the uh, the earthquake yeah. sequence, which I, uh, you know, I, I went to school with Chris. Yeah, lost him. Chris a couple of years ago, and and uh, it's so sad to me that he's gone. It's hard to kind of hard to believe. Um, great seeing him in this, and then there's a 1983 uh, audio interview with Carver that was uh, done for the American Audio Prose Library, which is also very interesting. So it's not all Altman all the time. There's a lot of Carver in there, and the the Blu-ray transfer is gorgeous. Tim, we finally have Marx Brothers on Blu-ray. Outstanding. <laughs> it's not every the Marx Brothers. screen collection. It's not every Marx Brothers movie, but it's, uh, it's, it's five really, really good ones. And uh, I'm sorry that A Night at the Opera is not here. That's my favorite Marx Brothers movie. But... That being said, uh, you know, we, they, they'll all come out eventually. This is the Marx Brothers Silver Screen Collection, uh, all beautifully restored uh, with an hour's worth of extras. And uh, here are the movies that you get. You get The Coconuts, mm-hmm. which is okay. 1929. Yeah. Uh, Animal Crackers, very funny. Very Monkey nice Business, terrific. Horse Feathers and Duck Soup, immortal. 29, 30, 31, and uh, 32 and 33. Those yep. are, all those boom, movies boom, boom. were back to back to back. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, that's the way they used to do it back in the day, folks. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Uh, so you don't, you obviously you don't get, you know, a day at the races, and you don't get uh, night at the opera, and and you know, there, um, there, there's obviously other stuff that you're not getting here. Um, but it, again, it will all come out eventually, and you get uh, the Marx Brothers, Hollywood's Kings of Chaos, which is a feature length doc, all about the family, and they interview everybody, including our friend Leonard Malton. 
and it really gives you interesting insight into into the family and the you know how they I mean you know because there were there were um, two more brothers yeah Zeppo yeah. and Gummo yeah and Gummo who I think was the first to leave Gummo's the behind, old went, went behind the scenes entirely Zeppo is in like two of the films mm-hmm. and he's a total straight man uh, but Zeppo and Gummo were kind of the business geniuses yeah. apparently Gummo right he's the Gummo is the one that sort of set up the the corporation and the licensing and did everything else and. Uh, yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Really an interesting family. Just a legendary American family. Uh, so that and, – and you also get um, rediscovered footage for Animal Crackers that has been edited back into the film that was originally taken out mm. so that it would meet production, production code standards. <laughs> we're so that code, we've yeah. taken Animal Crackers and we've turned it into, uh, into the film that it was always meant to be by adding it back in. So this is Animal Crackers that has not been seen in 80 years. And, and you know what? I haven't seen it that way, too. I can't wait. Uh, it's really amazing. Uh, inside the NBC vault, today's show interviews with Harpo and Groucho and, uh, and Bill Marks. And uh, home movies and a lot of other really great stuff. You also get five brand new audio commentaries featuring Harpo's son, Bill Marks, and uh, a bunch of film critics and, uh, of course, uh, our good friends, FX Feeney and Leonard Malton. So, uh, and look, as somebody who has, who has done a doc that FX was interviewed for and who has done commentaries with FX, yeah. I can tell you nobody gives better, better uh, commentary than FX. It's just a, it's a joy. So that is that. The, the Marx Brothers Collection, Silver, Silver Screen Collection, Coconuts, Animal Crackers, Monkey Business, Horse Feathers, and Duck Soup. Everything else will come out eventually, but uh, you've got to have those for now. It's a great start. Talladega Nights, uh, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, Will Ferrell, one of Will Ferrell's funniest films, I think. I can't even see the title of this without saying Little Baby Jesus. <laughs> Uh, this is the big, hairy, American winning edition. I, uh, I just, I, I have to believe that they've released this now to try and exploit the election in some way that somehow <laughs> they think that this has appeal in Trump country. Uh, they may be right. Uh, it's an odd time to re- to release a 10th anniversary of this film, but, uh, why not? There's 90 minutes. First of, the- of all, it's insane that that film was 10 years ago. Uh, right. I, let's just say that, <sighs> you know, I'm sorry. That bugs the hell out of me. Seriously. I did a set visit for that movie. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it's just nuts that it's a, a decade ago already uh, that that was. And you're right. It's, a, it's the funniest of that sort of, yeah. the, that sort of set of movies that Will Ferrell did. Uh, the yeah. one about basketball, semi-pro, I think yeah. is the name of it. It lives in that zone a little bit. Um, and, it, and you know what? I love the way it looks at that whole sort of NASCAR, Southern, oh, South Carolina, so North fun. Carolina scene. And it plays on every one of those things. But you know what? It's not really that mean about it. It's not, right? That's it's just the, funny. It's just incredibly funny. And this was the first thing where Sasha Baron Cohen kind of um, made a screen presence known. We all knew him from, from television, right? Yeah, yeah Ali and all that. Yeah, Ali G. But uh, this was the first time that he kind of stepped out of that Ali G character into, into something else. And he's great. He's really a great, great presence. And, of course, uh, you know, John C. Riley, and this is one of the first things he did with Will Ferrell, and they just have great chemistry. So it's a, lot of, uh, it's a lot of fun. I just think this is really one of the funniest films that Will Ferrell has ever done. God, oh, just really, really great. Tons and tons of stuff on here. There's, uh, there are two discs. There's the theatrical version and the unrated version. Uh, the theatrical version has lots and lots of deleted scenes and interviews and uh, raw takes. And uh, they even have Adam McKay's video diaries, which is... It, Pretty funny. Uh, auditions and uh, a commentary. And then there's a director and friends commentary on the unrated version. Um, and Will Ferrell returns to Talladega featurette. 
a lot of other uh, fun, te- fun Walker and Texas Ranger featurette. A lot of fun stuff on here. So it's uh, it they 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 know their they know their audience and they're uh, they're having fun with it. All right, Tim, you didn't see Inferno, did you? I heard you talking about oh Inferno on our radio program, uh, Film Week, KCC you know, 89.3. Uh, I listen to the podcast. So I, so I understand deeply. Of course, you know, I, dude, I, the first one... Um, uh, Angels and Demons was the second one. That's what you're yeah, about to talk yeah. about. Da Vinci now. Code and the Da Vinci Angels Code. And so you got them both right there. Yeah. I, I, I worked my way through Da Vinci Code. Okay, had no problem with that movie. Fine. Okay, this is all ridiculous, but fine. Yeah. The, there was not very much meat on the bones in, 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 in the middle one you're no. talking about. Uh, Inferno, it sounded to me like we were really just swinging. Jumping the shark. Yeah, jump the shark. Big no. time. So, yeah. Right, anyway, in, you got them both over there. Inferno is, is just really weak and ridiculous. And I don't want to fault Ron Howard or, or Tom Hanks because they. They are, as I said on the radio, this is a, a thriller about people from Hollywood trapped in a <laughs> web of contractual obligations, which is really all that it is. Yeah. Um, you know, they're all obligated to make whatever whatever Dan Brown wrote for yeah. a third mo- for a third book. Yeah. They were all obligated to do it years so ago. Yeah. If Dan Brown had written, you know, if if Inferno had had been about the Tom Hanks character is like an evil clown raiding children's birthday parties naked, <laughs> they would have had to do it. That was in the contract. So you can't fault them. Dan Brown just wrote a stinky novel, and everybody uh, had to somehow try to make it not stink. Which yeah, one th- can, we can only hope this is the end of that. Anyway, so you have a special first look with all new interviews uh, that teases Inferno on both these re-releases of Angels and Demons and the original Da Vinci Code. Uh, that's the only reason they're re-releasing these things, just to try to squeeze a few more dollars out of everybody off of some momentary notoriety. The Da Vinci Code... Yeah, you know, both of these are these are Blu-ray and uh, ultraviolet releases. Uh, if you want to, you know, I'm not sure the original releases of these had ultraviolet on them, so that might be a for those who are fans of these movies might be a, a selling point. Mm. But uh, yeah, Da Vinci Code is not a terrible film. It's just kind of cheesy. It takes a really preposterous concept and it sells it pretty decently. I think. Yeah, yeah, it's this sort of silly myth that has always existed, yeah. and you know, and he strings together enough. Uh, plausible, right? Uh, you know, little clues in order to get yeah. you to a place where you don't completely and totally hate it. By the time you get to Angels and Demons, the clues are becoming thin, and the goals. You know, I mean, I mean, seriously, you know, well, Jesus is uh, long well, lost, yeah, great, 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 great. I don't even know how many granddaughters. The, really, the, that's where we're going. The so the transition here is that, uh, of course, John Kelly is no longer alive. The Warner Brothers exec and the legendary producer who uh, who we gave a, a LAFCA Career Achievement Award to some years ago, he passed since, and his presence as a producer is sorely missed. Uh, what also changes is Akiva Goldsman, who I'm not really a fan of, but mm. he wrote the original Da Vinci Code, co- did, a, did get co-credit with David Kep on uh, Angels and Demons, mm-hmm. and Kep gets sole credit for Inferno. And you can tell, because Kep, you know, he's written uh, all, I mean, that's what he does. He writes these particular kinds of uh, puzzle movies, and yeah. it's all action, all puzzle, all running all the time. And Mission it's rather Impossible. Silly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. All that stuff. So anyway, uh, so new Blu-rays of uh, Angels and Demons and, uh, and uh, the original Da Vinci Code. Uh, Gregory Peck, Centennial Collection. Ooh. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird and Cape Fear. I'm going to ta- I'm going to say the, the the only reason really to get this I still recommend the special edition of To Kill a Mockingbird but here's the only reason to get this is for the ultraviolet because both of these films now have um ultraviolet uh codes here so you can uh you can kick it up or you can obviously you know uh 
check them out on iTunes. In any case, uh, Gregory Peck's Centennial Collection, To Kill a Mockingbird and Kate Fear, both on Blu-ray with Ultraviolet. And then last on our classics list is a whole big, beautiful pile of Twilight Time uh, Blu-ray releases. And uh, you can go to twilighttimemovies.com and grab these. That's where you can get them exclusively. These are all limited releases uh, from Twilight Time, classic movies that they have licensed from various libraries, mostly 20th, but um, a lot of really great stuff in here and really, really good transfers. And I, you know, I, I just love the labor of love that these guys put in. First off, 9 to 5, which has been musicalized for Broadway. But yeah. I, 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 I got to tell you, this is still one of the all-time great cast successes. Colin Higgins directed this. And you want to talk, I mean, Tim, you realize how long it's been since uh, this I'm, movie was made? I'm, I'm, 1980? Bing. 80s. 1980. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Wow. 1980. Uh, it doesn't feel that long. It, it does just... not. And you know what? That movie holds up in, in, in terms of humor. Uh, frankly, the zeitgeist of the day is yes, the zeitgeist of the day on the heels is. of some things said about Donald Trump. And Dolly Parton, Lily Tomlin, Jane Fonda, Dabney Colvin. Dabney Colvin, yes. Colvin being just the perfect villain. Yep. He plays that villain just yes. absolutely exquisitely yep. at the center of that movie. So uh, here, I'm going to really scare you now. Um, do you? This was 36 years ago. Mm-hmm. 36 years ago. Mm-hmm. Do you know what was 36 years before 9 to 5? Mark hates it when I do this. <laughs> so we go from now, 36 years ago, to 9 to 5. In 9 to 5, if they go back 36 years, do you know where they land? Where do they land? 1944. World War II is still on. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. My God. That means, well, all of those, everybody, yeah. everybody on that cover yeah. uh, uh, would have been a child, but nevertheless <laughs> on the planet. It's just weird to me. Yeah. It yeah. just, time slows down and... Anyway, so 9 to 5, Dabney Coleman, still just absolutely terrific as the evil boss. Fantasy sequences are great. Dolly Parton, uh, Jane Fonda, L- uh, Lily Tomlin. Uh, terrific pairing of actresses. I, you, nobody would ever think to have put those three people uh, into a movie. Certainly wouldn't think to do so today, but uh, what a great pairing. And a lot of fun. Tons of special features. Isolated score, as you usually get. There's an audio commentary with all the actresses and producer Bruce Gilbert. Audio commentary with uh, Patricia Resnick, and who's the screenwriter, and then uh, film historians Julie Kirgo and Nick Redman, who is, of course, one of the Twilight Time uh, principals. And uh, other little featurette bits here. Dolly Parton and Lily Tomlin are interviewed. There's deleted scenes. Uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's really, a, this is one of the best things that Twilight Time has ever put out. They really, really loaded up the extras. Sterling Hayden shows up in that movie. Sterling Hayden, you know my mother. My mother was almost nanny for Sterling Hayden. Did I ever tell you that? <laughs> no. I've mentioned that on this show before. Yeah, my mother. When my mother was just just fresh off the boat um, and dating my father, uh, my mother, of course, from Germany. For those who who don't know that, yeah, she was. Uh, she had nannied in Switzerland and she'd nannied in uh, in Scotland, and uh, she was she was looking for a nanny position here. And Sterling Hayden was one of the positions she, she interviewed for. To take. And my father, having a bit of Hollywood history, was like, no, you know, no, it's not, not, a, place, not a place I'm going to have any, uh, anyone that, I, that uh, I'm associated with. And he, he talked her down off the uh, – because, you know, Sterling was a little yeah. off the few marbles loose. Um, so let's, uh, let's go through some other stuff. We've got a couple of Bronson films here. Murphy's Law, Charles Bronson. Uh, kind of standard stuff for the uh, the the of uh, the the uh, '80s era post post death wish post death wish Bronson yeah, yeah but kind of still doing the same thing yeah kind of doing the same thing uh, there's an audio commentary here with uh, Kathleen Wilhoit who's in the movie 
and uh, Nick Redman, and it's it's perfectly fine. It's uh, you know it's not an amazing film, but it's, but it's not one of the worst that he's done. Uh, a little better is Bronson and his wife Jill Ireland in From Noon Till Three. Yeah, middle seventies. Yeah, this is uh, mid seventies. This is really a, a really really sharp film. It's a it's it's a kind of atypical of the way that westerns mutated from their 50s and 60s sort of tough John Wayne, John Ford, Jimmy Stewart, angsty stuff. Everything got a little jokey in the 70s, light and frolicky and jokey. And it wasn't just Blazing Saddles. It was, you know, the the, Jim, the James Garner stuff. And, oh, yeah, going south. I can think of a half Yeah, of going south is another one. Uh, things got a little, little, little bit lighter, and that's what this is too. Frank Gilroy, uh, the writer-director, um, kind of uh, you know gives us something that's a little bit between the uh, the sixties and the seventies era thing, and it's it's wonderful. Uh, it's really really fun. Beautiful photography by the guy who shot the Wild Bunch. Elmer Bernstein wrote the music, which you get as an isolated score track, uh, which is really really terrific. And uh, you know it's just always wonderful seeing Bronson with Jill Ireland. Uh, yeah. their, their their real life chemistry always comes through. Eye of the Needle. Love that uh, movie. Donald Sutherland. Right. Uh, directed by Richard Marcon, the late Richard Marcon, who did uh, uh, Return of the Jedi. And uh, this is essentially the movie that landed him the job of directing uh, Return of the Jedi. Uh, Eye of the Needle, which is uh, based on a, a Ken Follett book that was a kind of a big deal. And um, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's... It pretty much rides entirely on Donald Sutherland's performance. He's just really, really terrific and uh, really good. Was, now, wait, was this actually... I think this is the film he made after Return of the Jedi. Uh, was it before or after? I, I want to say this is the one that got him the, the job. I, I think you're right about that. I think uh, it's the one he, he, that got that, him the that's job. That's World War II. Uh, he's a, a secret agent. Yeah, D-Day is in the offing. Yeah, right? they have that whole decoy thing yeah, going with, yeah. the, with, the, with, the, with all the paper. And uh, he gets stranded in Scotland. Yeah. And there's a, it's an interesting little kind of intrigue off the beaten path of everything else that's going on in World War II. Anyway, uh, really, really very nicely done. Uh, Julie Kirgo and Nick Redmond do another really, really fine commentary. There's also uh, John Burlingame, who's a music historian, uh, weighs in on the commentary as well. And uh, it's a great isolated score track. Really terrific. Uh, Also from Twilight Time, Bobby Deerfield. uh, One of the more underrated Al Pacino performances. This is from uh, 1977, a year in which Star Wars overshadowed everything. Um, Directed by Sidney Pollack. Just really rock solid in every conceivable way. It, you know, it's a, about a guy, basically he's playing kind of a uh, Mario Andretti type character. You know, an American yeah, race yeah, car driver on that European circuit. I pretty good. I, my mind always goes to Le Mans, though. When yeah. I think of oh, you yeah. know mirrors, oh, yeah. movies about race car drivers from that period. Yeah. That the Steve McQueen film. But this is just so polished in that Sidney Pollack way. Really, really nice. Uh, and you get the original commentary that Sidney Pollack recorded for the uh, previous release before he passed. Yeah. So that is always lovely. A movie I used to laugh at, which I'm a little nostalgic for now, Remo Williams, The Adventure oh, Begins. Oh, I love that movie. Now, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, there's, there's something uh, deeply, deeply troubling to me about seeing Joel Grey in that horrible uh, uh, yellow so, face yeah, makeup. That's, that's, you couldn't get away with that today. Could not get away with that today, and that's a good thing. But that being said, if you if you can forgive that and if you can look past that, as, a, as an attempt at making a James Bond kind of a action franchise launcher that just didn't pan out, 
it's not Guy bad. Hamilton was Goldfinger, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guy Hamilton did Goldfinger, and he he did he Diamonds did, uh, Forever, Diamonds Forever, let, 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 yeah, three or four. Yeah, I yeah. mean, really, you know, I mean, he was trying to bring the Bond action to a new franchise. Is Fred Ward that guy? Not no, really. Not really. <laughs> he, he was like a, he was like it's like a blue collar, yeah, uh, uh, Bondian sort yeah. of guy. And then of course you had that whole sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. But today though, it lives in that same zone with movies like Buckaroo Banzai. Sure. And, you know, those, that's it's a fascinating 80s, yeah. 80s artifact. It's a fascinating 80s artifact. And uh, it's a lot of fun. A lot of great extras on here, uh, you know, on how they, you know, trained him and uh, the design of the film, composing the music. A lot of good featurettes. So that's a, that's a fun Blu-ray. Um, my other big pick of the week, uh, Beyond 9 to 5, is Boxcar Bertha. The uh, 1972 uh, sophomore film from Martin Scorsese, which is the one that basically got him Mean Streets. Uh, Mean Streets happened because Boxcar Bertha was so terrific, and Barbara Hershey is so young and so beautiful and so amazing in this. This is this is in theory, and well, not even in theory. This was actually a uh, a Roger Corman production mm-hmm. uh, made for AIP for Nicholson and Sam Arkoff, and um, but it. it transcends that. It's like Scorsese made a better film, kind of like Peter Bogdanovich made a better film than he was supposed to for Corman out of Targets. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the, uh, it, it's really, really great. Based on, the, uh, on, a, on an actual Depression-era crime story and uh, meant to sort of riff off of Bonnie and Clyde a little bit, you know, kind of in the uh, wake of Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, yeah, they wanted to do this. Those Angie Dickinson movies. Uh, yeah, yeah, really right. popular at the time. They, they were trying to do all those old outlaw movies. And uh, it is just such a really, really fine film. Beautiful recreation of the period. Barbara Hershey, again, is absolutely terrific. Uh, John Carradine is great. David Carradine is great. Uh, really, really terrific film. And it launched uh, Martin Scorsese into Legitsville. So. Well, yeah, you know, you know, the tail end of his indie period, uh, by the time he finishes Mean Streets, he's an A-list guy. Absolutely. Then. And, then, and then Taxi Driver, he wins the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah. It was only about five years to go from exploitation filmmaker to A-list. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, in less than a decade, he's got Raging Bull and his career is written. Uh, Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte. I'll roll through the rest of these fairly quickly. This is loaded with stuff. Uh, David Del Valle and Stephen Peros do a commentary. There's also a commentary with uh, Glenn Erickson. Lots of film scholarship on here. Um, this is uh, Betty Davis and Robert Aldrich uh, kind of doing a, something of a follow-up to uh, Baby Jane that isn't quite as twisted and scary. A lot of that has to do with the fact that you don't have uh, uh, Joan on this. Uh, there's no Joan to sort of uh, pivot off of Betty. Uh, instead, you have uh, Olivia de Havilland, who does, you know, is a perfectly good foil, a uh, perfectly good substitute. But it's a, you know, it's a it's a slightly lesser film, but still a really really good film. Agnes Moorhead also uh, brings the creep factor in here as well. Uh, yeah, so um, you know, I, uh, I I I recommend the film, but uh, you you sort of have to have uh, I think a little bit of a historical um, sense of where it comes from to sort of uh, be able to latch onto it. It really it really does riff off of Baby Jane in a lot of ways, and if you haven't seen Baby Jane, I'm not sure this is gonna you'll have a full appreciation for it. Uh, Frankenheimer's The Train with Burt Lancaster. Yeah, yeah, so I I'm getting into some kind of heady stuff here. Uh, isolated Score, a bunch of film historians, including Julie Kirko and Nick Redman again uh, on here, along with the original Frankenheimer commentary. Uh, this is one of Frankenheimer's best films, 1964. 
you know, it's it's World War II era, just a actioner, straight up great actioner. And Burt Lancaster, one of the the best at doing that stuff at the time. Uh, really, really good, just fun, fun movie. There's just no way, no two ways about it. Really, really sharp script. A lot of a uh, lot of good action stuff. Not that long after the Manchurian Candidate, I think that was a couple. Of yeah. Years yeah, yeah. And then as long as we're on the subject, Runaway Train. Really smart. Clearly, the people at Twilight Time, they said, we got the train, let's get Runaway Train. Runaway Train is such an interesting film, you know, based on a uh, Andre Konchalovsky directed, based on a, an unproduced screenplay by um, uh, Akira Kurosawa. And uh, this was a, an attempt by Canon Films to go totally legit, to basically do something that could have gotten them an Oscar nomination, could have been a, a Best Picture nominee. Great score by Trevor Jones. You get it on Isolated Track. Uh, Eric Roberts and young uh, Eric, very young Eric Roberts. young Eric Roberts, who's also on the commentary, uh, it, just a terrific film. I think the the Canon um, the the shadow of it being made by Canon was the sort of made it impossible for them to actually get the kind of cred that they wanted to get out of it. But I remember when this came out and people were like, "Wow, Canon is making a real movie." Yeah. Never got its awards, never got its acclamation, but uh boy, I'll tell you, it uh it, it really really handles. It really works. Still one of Konchalovsky's best films. I think it's terrific. Really terrific. 1985 Runaway Train, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Blu-ray transfer. Twilight Time absolutely kills it. And then the last one, as long as we're on trains and chases and things of the sort, is the actual movie called The Chase. This is our last Twilight Time uh, release of late from 1966. Jane Fonda, Robert Redford. Mr. Brando. Angie Dickinson. Yeah. The uh, lovely Miriam Hopkins. Uh, who you know Robert Duvall, E.G. Marshall, James Fox. Are you kidding me? This is crazy. Arthur Penn pretty much collected the, the mother of all casts, uh, produced by Sam Spiegel, who at this point already had collected... Uh, three Academy Award Best Pictures for On the Waterfront and, uh, and uh, Bridge and River Kwai and Lawrence of Arabia. So he could get anything made that he wanted to. And uh, Arthur... Horton Foot and Lillian Hellman. Oh, you know, seriously. It, yeah. Seriously, based on you know, Horton Foot original material, Lillian Hellman uh, doing the adaptation. Yeah, it's absolutely great. Uh, and this, is, this all takes place in a... Uh, in this, uh, it's all about this prison break in this small Texas town. And uh, the, uh, all of the, the, the corruption and the politics and everything that sort of surrounds it, really just an absolutely fantastic movie. Uh, brilliantly put together. Arthur Penn, uh, never better. And uh, the best part of this is the John Barry isolated score because mm. I've never been able to find this score on CD. So, oh, outstanding. Just terrific. All right, Tim, we got new movies. Uh, what do we yes, got new movie-ish? Uh, in, in, including uh, extremely new Captain Fantastic. Inter- interesting to talk about Captain Fantastic here on Blu-ray, Viggo Morgenstern. So this film is one that uh, you know, will probably yeah. be talked about as award season yeah. uh, creeps along here. Uh, I don't know. would not be on my list. Uh, Vigo plays like a like an old hippie. Yeah, right? Yeah, this guy and he takes his family out into the middle of nowhere so he can raise them. You know, have raise his kids and live <laughs> right. one, of, one of those sort of lives in the middle of nowhere. And it's all very you know um, quaint and and, uh, and and interesting until the wife gets sick. And this is when I this is when I have a problem with this film, uh, with the nature of the characters in this film, the movie itself, because he you know he doesn't want to break this thing that they're doing right. to go and take care of his wife. And I'm like, no, no. That's not the way this works. 
Now we go back to civilization. You had your fun out here in the trailer with the yeah. somebody's sick. We get our hells, get, get Kaiser baby. Yeah, we get our asses yeah. over to Kaiser. That's where we go. Anyway, nevertheless, that's just my thoughts about that bonus feature. Uh, uh, insane or insanely great? I don't know what that means. It's like, is that like a document? Is that like a doc or something like that? Ins- insane or insanely great? The, the, yeah. What does that mean there? I, I was that's a featurette. That's a it's a yeah, featurette. That's the name yeah. of the featurette. Okay. Just a featurette. That's all they've got on here. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. All right, well, Captain Fantastic, Blu-ray and uh, Ultraviolet, to set look at Vigo doing such such unusual outside the box work ever since he was supposed to have been the the new the new action star, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, a nerve. For, uh, this is uh, Emma Robertson, Dave Franco, <sighs> not James, but Dave, who who uh, looks who looks like you know what you know what Dave Franco looks like, and I I thought of this the, as soon as he starts showing up in all those neighbors movies, I, I thought Dave Franco looks and acts. Like, well, best example I can think of is Joe Estevez. This oh. is like, right? This is Martin the, Sheen's, Martin Sheen's uh, younger brother. Younger brother. Yeah. yeah, this is like, well, we can't really afford the real thing. Is there? Is there anybody that looks and sounds like him? Hey, that guy looks and sounds like him. That's his brother? Uh, awesome. You're walking down Frank Stallone territory. <laughs> you are. Uh, I, forget what, I forget what Patrick Swayze's brother his name with that whole that whole that whole also, also, also. Because yeah, Dave is actually a fairly decent actor. I don't know this movie. I didn't see it. it it's what Eddie Murphy does with himself in Bowfinger. Yeah, it, yeah exactly. <laughs> and, and then you have that one too because Eddie Murphy has a brother. Uh, you know, Eddie Murphy's brother. <laughs> Who's actually an hysterically funny guy. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, I didn't see yeah. this movie so I don't know much about yeah. it uh, in terms of in terms of the film itself, I know it's a Henry Juiced Ariel Schulman yeah. film. Those are the guys who did that Catfish film yeah. uh, a couple of few years back. It says uh, that it's about an industrious high school senior uh, who uh, gets involved in some things online with it. So I don't yeah. know, whatever. Maybe it's maybe it's fine. It seems like one of those millennial films, uh, Blu-ray sure. and digital HD. Um, that, that the millennials will love, but you know what? I don't really know much about that, so I, I'm just going <laughs> to let that one let that one go. Skip Trace. Oh, you know, I hate this movie. Uh, uh, Jackie Chan and Johnny Knoxville. I so hate this movie. Because here you go. So uh, some a number of years ago, it seems to me maybe about 20, someone yeah. uh, figured out that if you pair Jackie Chan with a, uh, a comedian, yeah. usually a black comedian who yeah. is skinny and talks fast, you know, yeah. <laughs> Chris Tucker, that you can get a lot of funny out of that. Uh, and then after that ran out, they decided to you know, we'll the pair him with the guy, Owen Wilson, the air, yeah. a couple of, and then they decided, okay, so that's this still happening. It, 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 Skip Trace is an, this is a film Jackie's wanted to make for years and years and years, and it's just, it's, I'm sorry, I love Jackie, I wrote a book about Jackie, I've interviewed Jackie, I've worshipped Jackie like a god. And that's a Rennie years. Harlan film, which is another guy that goes way well, back in our history. Rennie Harlan's career completely went kaput in Hollywood. Uh, uh, Cutthroat Island, I think, pretty much did that him That kind of in. did him in, and uh, he relocated to Beijing. He lives in Beijing now. Did you know that? I had no he idea. Lives I would have went back home. This yeah. thing opened with like 70 or $80 million, biggest opening of his career. Now, granted, it's all Chinese money. It's yeah. all Chinese audiences. But um, those are the kinds of openings that movies are having in China now. And they, it says something, it says something uh, about, the, about the industry as a whole. Yeah. Uh, it's, it says something about the industry as a whole, I think. Yeah. Uh, that a movie can open in China. Yes. Uh, you know, starring Jackie Chan, obviously, right. the icon. And yeah. Johnny Knoxville. And make, you know, whatever you just said. It's it ridiculous. Made. And, and most Americans will have never heard of this movie no. and will watch it on Blu-ray. So basically, Jackie's a detective and Johnny Knoxville is a rogue. 
and uh, he's kind of you know he's, he's like this this uh, cheater and gambler and everything else, and uh, they wind up being uh, awkward partners, mismatched buddies, trying to take down some international drug lord. It is, but it's so poorly written. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense. It goes off on silly, crazy tangents. It's just slow, and the action scenes are about half speed. Jackie needs to stop doing yeah, this I stuff. Yeah, just cut it out, Jackie. This is this is Jackie at like you know in in second gear compared to what he used to do, and you just it's you feel so bad for him. He's in his sixties and he's trying to still be like he's in his twenties. Well, just... and you, you you put put Johnny Knoxville <sighs> in the movie, maybe you get a few yucks. So unfortunate, and almost no. There's a director commentary, and uh, and that's it. It's really but not it still much. made money in China. Justin Lin uh, was the director of Star Trek Beyond, the, yeah. the most the yeah. last release uh, Star Trek movie. I, Got hate, that I here. hated this too. Four uh, K and, and, and Blu Ray. I, look, uh, this is the worst of them thus far. That the one, the Wrath of Khan movie, you know, the remake of Wrath yeah. of Khan, or not the remake, but the, the sequel. Yeah. Uh, to that, I enjoyed that movie. I did. I enjoyed yeah. that. I know you don't care for any of these things, but I enjoyed that middle movie. Didn't, didn't work. For this me at one, all. this one definitely slips deeply. Anyway, full of all kinds of uh, deleted scenes, uh, a, a featurette. Uh, you have uh, commentary tracks, and um, let's see. Oh. The young Anton Yelchin appears. Uh, that is on the this that too. is the only thing that I uh, that almost redeems this is that it's Anton Yelchin's last film, and yeah. he's good. He is uh, good as always. Such a tragic passing, and yeah, that's on four K Ultra HD uh, with really some beautiful HDR. I mean, this thing is so digital and so much uh, CGI. It just it sort of blows off the screen, but. Uh, and and you know that whole kind of uh, the, the the whole base that they wind up in that whole space going mini yeah. planet giant base thing that that where all the climax takes place is gorgeous. It's it's gorgeous in 4K uh, if you've got all the gear to to check it out. But man, what a anyway. There's a uh, thing on here to live long and prosper. 50 years of Star Trek, which is perfectly fine, but the 50th anniversary deserved a better movie. Mm. It's also a movie called The Last Film Festival, which is Dennis Hopper's last film. We're long as we're talking about a lot of last films here. Yeah. Um, this was made some time ago, not released until last year. It is a it is a low budget indie that um, kind of plods along based on the people they were able to get in it. Um, it is uh, it has Lily Sobieski in it and uh, Jacqueline Bissett, Joe Beth Williams, uh, a lot of people who just really needed work i guess uh it's it's a little too inside uh, dennis hopper plays this producer uh who's you know trying desperately to get his film distributed and uh it, it just it, it, if you don't know that scene and if you don't know the the film festival scene and what little film festivals are like uh, and what goes into them and the, the the politics of them, especially things like South by Southwest. I don't know that this really makes much sense. It doesn't to work it's in the same way that Shortcuts. We talked about Shortcuts, uh, yeah. well, you know, another very inside Hollywood yeah. movie. Uh, yet somehow you didn't need to be you know one of the sort of folks who were in the movie in order yeah. to access the right. movie. Whereas right. this, you know, if you don't get it, you don't get it. Yeah. So anyway, this is from Monterey. Uh, if you're inside, if the, if you're inside baseball, it, it'll still work for you. But I, it's anyway. All right. Looking at a thing called Lights Out. Uh, from director David Sandberg. Uh, I didn't see this film, but this this looks interesting to me. It's, um, it's on Blu-ray. Uh, 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 um, if, it's from producer James Wan, who is the producer on Blu-ray, who is the producer of the Conjuring series and the director of the Conjuring and, films. and the director of the Conjuring films. Who previously and, was in the Saw? He was one of the yeah one of the Saw one, guys. one of the sort of, yeah. uh, central guys to that. This is supposed to be pretty good. 
uh, as I understand it. Uh, special features include some deleted scenes. Uh, and whatever, I suppose, I suppose if we're talking about the curation uh, of these sorts of movies, particularly around Halloween, that's what it has to offer. So it's um, a digital HD and uh, ultra Blu-ray here. Uh, special features only include some deleted scenes. So uh, an absolute terrible movie here called Fight Valley. I was originally supposed to review this for radio. Could mm. not get through more than 10 minutes of it. I kid you not. I could not get through more than 10 minutes of this. Uh, if, if you Look, and I love movies where women fight and, and beat the crap out of each other and men. I mm. do. Always have. But uh, I live there. Yeah, yeah. But uh, this, is, this is just not right. This is all about uh, underground. This is basically like tries to be a female fight club. Mm. That's sort of the idea behind it. But it's just, it's so poorly done. I mean, it just, it, all it is is, is you know, they, they load it up with a lot of kind of alternative music and uh, they want to give a lot of female fighters and people who are not actors and cannot act a chance to show up in this movie. Uh, Miesha Tate, Holly Holm, uh, Susie Chelek. I mean, but it just, it's bad. It's not a good movie. It's yeah. just not good. Which I matters, hate to say that. Which matters, which matters. Yeah. Papa Hemingway. I have over here, if I, if, if, you and I may have been on the, the show to talk about this again. I can't remember. Maybe it was you I and I. Think it's we it's were. that Bob Yari film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we talk, if we didn't talk about it on the radio, we we, we, we at just least, talked about it someplace yeah. else. So this is that. So this is an interesting sort of story um, um, directed by Bob Yari, and it was told to. Um, um, him uh, by a fellow who happened to be yeah. one of Ernest Hemingway's or Ernest Hemingway's last sort of attaché, last sort yeah. of secretary, young man who goes to live with Hemingway down in, in, in Cuba when he was right. in the house in Cuba with his third wife and, and sort of watched the sort of uh, yeah. unraveling of, of Hemingway and everything that leads up ultimately to Hemingway's. Yeah. Uh, you know, this movie has a lot going for it, but it has some things that are working against it, including an actress named Aminka Kelly. Uh, who plays uh, the love interest of the young man played mm-hmm. by Giovanni Rublisi, who goes yeah. to see him, and I'm sorry, she just cannot act at all. <laughs> just at all. And, and one really centrally bad performance can sink a movie. Yeah. Uh, and, and it kind of sinks this movie. I, you know, Bob Yari, probably a better producer than director. Anyway, this is Digital HD. Uh, I'm, I'm looking to see if it has any special features on it. It does not have any special features on it. So, Papa Hemingway. Well. All right, Papa Hemingway. I it I, that it's such an unfortunate movie. Yeah, I, yeah. Good, I, good idea, but man, it's just really misguided. Uh, Independence Day resurgence. Yeah, saw we that had one. twenty years to prepare. So did they. You yeah, know what? If you're if bigger. you're if you're one of the audiences that uh, if you're the the audience for the original Independence Day and you've had twenty years, you have not been preparing for this. No, and you've not prepared enough. Uh, really an unfortunate movie. It's It rehashes what it didn't need to rehash, and the stuff that it needed to reinvigorate, it didn't reinvigorate. And the thing that, the, the anchoring thing of the original Independence and, and the original Independence Day, uh, obviously Will Smith. Will Smith yeah. was already a movie star. Yeah. So that's, so that's one thing, yep. right? And then, of course, you know, that whole sort of uh, zeitgeist was, uh, at the time, was still sort of in the big alien invasion movies, yeah. the special effects were fairly outstanding. It was, it, CGI was pretty, was pretty new at the time exactly. for that, in that, that way. Exactly, yeah. done on that scale. Yeah. All of which has been done and done and then done and then done again. So, so, so nothing about the CGI in this movie would, would make you want to go watch it. Will Smith is not in this movie except uh, as a, I think he appears in a photograph. Yeah, right, painting. right. And, in the movie, and then and I'm sorry, I'm going to give a little something away here. I don't, you're, you're fine, uh, you know, turn turn off the radio, uh, turn off the podcast for one second. They kill, they kill Vivica Fox yeah. early in the movie. Yeah, 
You want to endear me to this movie? You don't do that. You don't kill Vivica freaking Fox. She survived the first damn alien invasion so that she could marry Will Smith. Anyway. Yeah. yeah well, it's, it's a Jeff Ball, a Jeff Goldblum show. They throw Liam Hemsworth in here because, well, every action movie has Jeff to have... Jeff Hirsch is still a lot of fun in yeah. that movie, too. Yes, he is. I, mean, you know. uh, I guess every action movie now has to have a Hemsworth somewhere in it. And that's the that's the thing now. Yeah. I, I think that's contractual. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, it's pretty much a Jeff Goldblum show. I, I have to say, without Will Smith and without Randy Quaid, yeah, I really that you go Randy I, Quaid. I you know Bill Pullman and Jeff Goldblum just can't carry this. I need I need I need Will Smith to be cool and I need Randy Quaid to be crazy. What's he doing by the way? What's Randy, is he is he still floating around with his wife in Canada and that on, the, beard on the lamb and, 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 and they're hiding from the IRS, dropping his pants on YouTube, doing <laughs> whatever he's been doing. He's making. He's, he's starting. He's starting to make Glenn, the character from uh, from the vacation movies, look like a normal guy. <laughs> Glenn. Yeah. I have this one here called a beautiful film. I did not see this, but I but I intend to just from reading about it. It's about a dancer mm-hmm. uh, who is a little bit crazy and uh, isn't quite aware of what's true and what's fantasy in her life. Uh, uh, and she's sort of trying to figure it out. Um, um, I, I like this. The, the lead actress is the actress that's on a new series, Abigail Spencer. She's on a new series uh, called Time After Time or something like that. It's, yep. a new, it's a new series about time travel, which when I first heard about it, struck me as a perfectly ridiculous series. It's about these people who travel back in time to stop this other guy who's traveling back <laughs> in time from doing things to affect the future. And all they do in every, in every mm-hmm. episode is go back in time and affect the future. They, 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 they do everything from step on butterflies to save people from dying. To, and every time they come back to the, you know, to the present, everything's all different again. And I'm thinking to myself, just stop. Yeah. <laughs> just cut it out. Just screw it all up. Anyway, uh, that's what this is based on. Nothing, no special, no special uh, anything on this. But it, it, it looks like it might be pretty good anyway. Uh, the id, a uh, on Blu-ray, a, uh, a, a, a I'm gonna say an interesting thriller. Um, I, I wish it had had a little bit more meat on its bones. To be honest, I wish it had a little, a slightly bigger, uh, bigger budget. This is a very, very indie ho- ho- horror thriller kind of thing. Kind of a horror thriller thing. Uh, I, I wish it. I wish it had a little bit more money on it. But still, uh, interesting concept here, even if it's not realized as well as it probably should be. Um, this is, uh, this is a, about a woman who has been carrying, whose father was horribly, horribly abusive. And, uh, she has basically wasted her life caring for him, uh, until there is suddenly a change, a twist, something happens that enables her to sort of redeem herself and, uh, to perhaps, uh, I can't give anything else away, but, um, the, it will, it will affect her relationship with her father. It will affect them both. Um, as a psychological study of a person who is on the edge and who has sort of been getting there for the better part of her life, I think this is really, really good. There are times when you wish, oh, I wish somebody like Polanski had made this, you know, because it feels like the kind of thing he could have just really turned the screws on. But it is nonetheless a, um, uh, it is a, it is very, very well thought out. And despite the fact that it has has a, a small budget, uh, it's done really well, and it's a very nice Blu-ray transfer. So mm. that is called The Id. Yeah. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this film, a Last Cab to Darwin. It's an Australian film starring Michael Caden. I like this movie a it lot. Just a, it was just a lovely movie. It's about this guy. Uh, he's a cab driver, a uh, small town where he grows up, finds out he's going to die, finds out he doesn't have long to live. Yep. 
gets in his cab and decides to take a drive about us as opposed to a walk about. To, to, to the other side of Australia. Uh, where to Darwin. Gonna, to where they're going to be able to do, uh, to give him, a, a, you know, effectively a, a medical supervised uh, suicide, yeah. death with dignity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of Aboriginal folks in the Jackie Weaver show. We know Jackie Weaver yeah. from Animal Kingdom and a couple of things. So. And that, that, that uh, Australian football plan... Uh, Aboriginal guy who uh, who kind of tags along. And yeah, is, is such a fascinating. You figure. know what it reminded me of the mm. most, anyway, the straight story that David Lynch film yes. from X number of years yep. ago. I have to absolutely. Always piece this, like, little absolutely, so just a perfectly lovely little movie. Absolutely. And then, uh, really quickly, a movie that we can almost—it's almost impossible to describe—the Midnight Swim. Uh, Midnight Swim is one of the most unusual films. Jennifer LaFleur, I love her. Yeah, really a, a strange, unusual, fascinating film that has been uh, in all kinds of festivals, and uh, it is—it is—it's it, almost David Lynchian in many respects. It is—it uh, is a very strange and unusual movie that defies expectation, that defies explanation. It is worth checking out. Um, do a little do a little search online if you need to know more about it. I, I there's no way that I can actually even describe it. The Midnight Swim, uh, really, really quite a sharp movie, and uh, yeah. All right, um, some other. Uh, I got, oh, we got a few I, other things. I got so. a couple. That's I, right. Because it's a, a, a Le Carre adaptation. Big nut. I'm, I'm a nut. About, I'm nuts about Le Carre. Uh, yeah. Those books, you know, which used to get adapted all the time back in the late '80s and '90s. Uh, Russia House and uh, 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 the Taylor of Panama and all of that kind of stuff. This is our kind of trailer. Stellan Skarsgård uh, is in it, uh, adapted from the Le Carre. I actually uh, I, I like this. It's not the best Le Carre film, but no. it's, it's good. I mean, it's mainly because uh, Ewan McGregor is so good. And it contemporizes all of that stuff. And yeah. It's a little bit more present day than all of that sort of Cold War stuff that's using you know, Smiley's yeah. people and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Although, nevertheless, still... Classic Lockhart. And, a, and a, great, a great cast, too. I mean, Ewan McGregor, Stellan Skarsgård, Damian Lewis, Naomi Harris. Great, yeah. great bunch of people. Can't They're, go terribly wrong. Cannot with that. go wrong with What those. was on there? I forgot. I didn't look. What's oh, deleted on? scenes, featurettes, that's it. Just, and, you know, some interviews, usual EPK kind of stuff. But uh, really, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's pretty sharp. Really uh, pretty sharp. Uh, Cafe Society, uh, Woody Allen uh, doing that thing. He's just knocking them out every 20 minutes over the last, I don't know, yeah. what, maybe 10 years or so. Uh, he's running about 70-30, I would say, uh, in terms of, you know, successful films to unsuccessful films. Yeah. Uh, the last one, I think, was An Irrational Man, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that was, yeah. This one, though, I, I really liked Cafe, Cafe Society. Uh, it's right there with Round, uh, with uh, Midnight in Paris and a couple of the other later. Uh, so this is set in um, oh, pre-war Hollywood, mostly, and New York. Uh, a young ingenue and Jesse Eisenberg is, is sort yeah. of uh, wooing her, and, uh, and and she's and she's running around with the studio executive. This is what I like about this movie. This is still Woody Allen doing the thing that he's been doing for a while now, where he's sort of reviewing uh, his work and his life and his sort of philosophical sort of sort of ideas about the world. Uh, coming out of the mouths of these characters is all that sort of Woody I, Allen. I still haven't that, seen it. I've got to watch this. It's I, a neat. It's a, it really is neat. But this is what I like most about this movie. This movie is viciously violent, De- <laughs> deconstructing Harry violent. That's know? great. At least eight people get shot right in the fucking head in this movie. <laughs> and I mean, I mean Woody. We're talking about yeah. Woody Allen movie. I mean, yeah. guy. And you know what? In the '30s in L.A. Yeah. in New York, yeah. that happened quite a lot. Yeah. And I like and Woody being an old guy. You know, yeah. uh, sort of. You know, it connects yeah. to these sort of things and 
so it's really interesting, a little bit jaded, but it's still funny and kind of mm-hmm. sexy. Plus, it's got sort of a you know Hollywood, Hollywood kind of thing. I got the. Uh, the I'm sorry. What were you going to? I was, say? you know, I was going to say because I, 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 I want to give people a little bit more on the midnight swim. Um, just, just so that people aren't completely, uh, completely that, taken back. That, that cave at the bottom of it's, that, it's that a, lake. I'll say this: it's about sisters dealing with the, the, a missing mom, and 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 nothing. You should know nothing else about it, but just it's sisters. Dealing with the, the a mom who is missing, and and any other details are going to probably give give too yeah. much away. So it is, but there's there's some really it's just weird and cool and really really funky. So um, yeah, definitely definitely worth checking out. Um, Ice Age Collision Course. Hate this movie. You know, uh, hate it, this. it started to wear a little thin about about this at about this point. I think this uh, is on 4K Ultra HD. Yeah. It's uh, it, it it I you know I I don't think the Two Ice Age. Two, two discs. discs. Yeah. I, I don't think it looks great in 4K. I'll be honest. I don't think it looks great in Blu-ray. I didn't think it looked great projected. I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a rushed film. I think the animation is really, really not keeping pace. I think they're trying to make it look too much like the early ones. The one thing I will say, the the, the Toy Story films, they've tried to improve the animation every single time. Mm-hmm. These, they just make it more frenetic. But the 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 character designs have not evolved. They've not improved. The animation is not better. Or is it, it, and if it is in any way more significant, it's stuff like the yeah. you know, the, the fur looks a little furrier. Yeah. And I don't care. Yeah. Uh, but it's packed full of all kinds stuff uh, it's a uh, 4k ultra hd and the blu-ray you got a whole bunch of uh little featurettes on this thing and and uh and, and people talking behind the scenes and all that kind of stuff so uh i'm gonna go through some cult films real quickly uh these all came in after we did the halloween show so if you got a little post halloween thing going uh here's what you can check out intervision the trail of dracula from folklore to screen uh which is a really kind of a it's it, it, essentially it's just a documentary about the the evolution of Dracula, and it skips a lot of stuff, and it's not great, but it's okay. Uh, it, it it covers something which is better than nothing, and I guess that's probably the best recommendation I can give it. Um, Burial Ground from Severin is a uh, is a pretty decent 1980 uh, kind of zombie movie. Um, zombie movies pre when they had to actually do the zombie makeup and they couldn't just sort of CGI everything. There is yeah. a, a creep factor that is uh, that is better. It is uh, this is kind of, you know this is more in the giallo vein. But uh, if if you just want to see zombies eating and mutilating people, that's fine. Burial ground from Severin. Slow on zombies. Blu-ray. These are those are slow. Slow zombies. zombies. Yeah, not the zombies that run as fast as computers can make them run. Uh, we got a couple from the Arrow Library, which are both great. Uh, Wes Craven's Hills Have Eyes yeah. in an absolutely dazzling, fantastic Blu-ray special edition, which is, I mean, this is, you know, this is Wes Craven at his best um, and one of his f- first and most noteworthy successes. This thing is loaded with extras. Uh, 4K restoration, and uh, you've got, uh, you know, uh, gosh, it's, there's a poster in here. Um, making of documentaries, audio commentary with Wes Craven and Peter Locke, um, uh, outtakes, alternate ending, uh, new interviews with uh, with some of the cast. I mean, it's just it goes on and on and on. Trailers, television spots. It's just everything that you can possibly think of to have anything to do with Hills Have Eyes is right here. And uh, Michael Berryman, still the weirdest looking guy ever to make a movie. I don't know. It just he's the it's just the strangest head and face and. He's creepy, and it's all perfect. Everything about this still absolutely works. Uh, it is maybe the best movie ever made about people who wander off the beaten path and into uh, the middle of cannibal territory. 
How many movies like that? I don't know. Yeah. Hideo Nakata, the great Japanese director, also made Dark Water, which is out in a special edition from uh, the Arrow Library, being released by uh, MVD, Music Video Distributors. And, uh, you know, if you, if you are familiar with Nakata, you will know him primarily from the Ring series, Ringu. He made the original Ring series, uh, Ring movies. And this is uh, kind of his, uh, he came back to the genre after stepping away from it because he was too overly associated with J-horror. And uh, it is every bit as creepy as you would expect it to be. It's got all the creep factor of the Ring movies and then some. And uh, it's, you know, it's the, the usual thing. It's a, a family who uh, is having issues and they wind up getting dragged into some kind of a weird supernatural uh, uh, horror show. And then it just gets weirder and weirder from there. It's mm. great. Everything about this is just expertly done. Tons of special features on here. Brand new interview with uh, Nakata. Uh, an interview with the guy who wrote the original story that it's based on, Koji Suzuki. And uh, they even talked to the cinematographer. They have interviews with the actresses. Uh, there's a making of documentary. It's just absolutely terrific. So that is Dark Water from Hideo Nakata. And then the last two on the cult uh, front come to us from Cult Epics. Uh, the first one is a movie called Sin. Cult Epics, of course, releases all the really, really super cool fringe stuff. Uh, this is the uh, this is kind of a this is from the same guy who did um, uh, the movies uh, uh, Pig, which is really horrific, and Betty Page Dark Angel. And uh, this is all just really this is kind of a weird anthology set in the uh, the kind of golden era of Hollywood, twenties through the forties. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's like, a, like would, I guess you would imagine is like a pre-code, um, something Cecil B. DeMille would have done if he, if he didn't really have the constraints of reputation and the code. Mm. Um, you know, just stories of sin and, uh, and eroticism and uh, other really, really dark stuff that uh, isn't worth really getting into. Anyway, uh, so that is Sin in a special edition from Cult Epics. And then the last cult epics release is The Erotic Dances of Betty Page. Betty Page, who just keeps getting all kinds of releases. Uh, if, if you, that's all this really is, is just a collection of uh, erotic dances in kind of stag films by Betty Page. Has historical value. If you're not a Betty Page fan, you're not really going to care. So uh, that is out there on Blu-ray as well. Very nicely transferred. Uh, I got a few television series here, including some British series, some of which I, I actually rather enjoy. Cool. Uh, Janet King. Uh, this is series two, The Invisible Room. Janet King um, uh, plays a singer prosecutor uh, who goes on maternity leave and comes back and she gets this sort of assignment. I, the interesting thing about this, of course, is that separation between barrister and solicitor in the British system. Uh, so you have the sort of dynamic. still don't understand that. I, I, they I just really wear different clothes. It, 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 they wear different clothes, you know. And one, so one, uh, I think it's the barrister that, that stands in front of the, uh, the the judge, if I'm not mistaken. That's a barrister, and the solicitor is the sort of like paperwork person, uh, you know, who prepares a trial. If you say so, it, something like that. <laughs> anyway, interesting. This has behind, behind the scenes uh, featurette, a featurette that's 35 minutes long, uh, and it's a, you know it's a, it's a highly intriguing and captivating cool. series. About that, Doctor Thorne, uh, which is a Julian Fellows production. Julian, oh uh, yeah, Fellows, yeah, yeah, of course, of, uh, Downton uh, Abbey, Downton Abbey fame. Uh, fame. Uh, this is a very interesting series, which I thoroughly enjoyed uh, uh, myself as well. Um, uh, this particular set uh, has several special features, including the making of Doctor Thorne um, and an interview with Julian talking about adapting 
the uh, the Anthony Trollope. Right? right. Therefore, this is an Anthony based on Anthony Trollope, and, and two or three other things, uh, and in, it includes all four episodes of the original season. Uh, there, suspects. Um, I have here, it's another uh, British television series, which I enjoy quite a bit, uh, sort of a, a cop drama. This is series three of four, so this is the second to the last season out on Acorn here. Eight episodes on two discs. Uh, um, it's, you know, not a whole lot of, actually no special features on this way. Look, the reason why I recommend this is because it's a really, really uh, very good sort of drama uh, detective cop procedural drama, but you know what it's not? It's not bloody and gory. They don't do that sort of CGI dead people everywhere yeah. kind of thing that you see, particularly on American sort of dramas. Yeah. The British never really came around to doing that so much. They keep it in the, in the mind, and they keep it in shoe leather. So uh, much appreciated. Uh, so much, so much appreciated. Suspects, uh, series three and a four uh, there. And I have this, uh, another Acorn series, uh, uh, Jericho. This is so good. This is a good show. This is a really, really, a good, really good show. show. Uh, Western show with at the center of it is a is a black a cowboy. Uh, it's it's sort of a British Western too. It's great. Uh, uh, and it's Clark Peters, who, by the way, the other day I was watching Outland. Remember Outland, yeah. John Connery film? Yeah. Uh, set on a moon outside Jupiter or something yeah. like that. And I didn't realize that Clark Peters is one of the central characters in this film. You know, you'll know Clark Peters, Peters from the uh, television program Treme, uh-huh. which was popular just a couple of years ago. It's really interesting how you can watch a person's career. You can have been watching a person's career for 40, 35, 30 years, and you don't even realize that you've been watching them that long. Anyway, uh, this is. This is a first-rate series, uh, 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 bonus behind-the-scenes featurette that's 40 minutes long, uh, set in the 1870s in Yorkshire. In Yorkshire. Uh, it's just a really, really interesting thing, particularly just the juxtapositions of humans. I would have never thought that this group of people yeah. would have been dealing with each other at this particular time in history right. in this particular place in history. It's fantastic. It just goes to show what we know about uh, how, absolutely. how the world is really yep. shaped, uh, yep. which is uh, sort of interesting. Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll hit a couple here. Midsummer Murders, uh, Series 18. It's amazing to me how this thing just keeps on trucking. Uh, this, this show just, uh, it, and they maintain the quality of the writing consistently. Uh, you know, it's a small English village, and uh, we get the, the, the rural detective work that goes on with uh, John Barnaby and, uh, and Charlie Nelson, who are the, the inspectors. And it's just, it's amazing how much stuff they can continue to drag out of this, uh, the, the framework of this show. It's really, really great. Uh, some terrific mysteries here. Habeas Corpus, Dying Art, Saints and Sinners. Uh, in all six new mysteries, really, really good. Midsummer series eighteen. Mm, I have when the heart calls, which is another uh, uh, sort of series, yep. five movie collection. Uh, uh, this particular one. Um, this is an interesting thing. This is this is season three of four. It's about a young teacher who goes off to the wilds of nowhere uh, uh, to, to a small coal mining town to become a, teaching, a teacher in the West. And uh, Canadians, and I mean actual Canadian Mounties, you know, the guys in the red with the, with the yep. Canadian hat, <laughs> that's in this movie. Uh, rather intriguing. It's, it's, it's set during the, the present day, though. It's beautifully shot. That's what I like most about it. And again, it's about stuff that you just don't actually, you know. And if you watch, if you grew up watching um, Family, um, what was the movie with the little twin girls and uh, and, and and Bob? Uh, oh, um, oh, God, I can't remember the name of that television series. It's a television Which series, one? and it had the it had the, the comedian. And he had and he was a widower, and he had the two little twin girls, uh. and Je- and and, uh, and uh, John Stamos was the brother. Uh, who stayed? With oh, oh, oh! A uh, oh, Full House. Full House. Yeah. And eventually, John Stamos married Lori. Uh, I think Lori McLaughlin was her name. 
Yeah. And she was insanely beautiful. Yeah. Another actress who I'd been watching for yeah. 30, 35 years. She's in this movie. You know what I love about her? Huh. She looks exactly like she looked when she was 13 years old. <laughs> That's her right there in the oh, corner. Oh, that's amazing. Only with the rest. Yeah, doesn't age. <laughs> absolutely beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Uh, Indian Summers, second season. If you haven't seen this show, yeah, it's really terrific. It's great. It uh, takes place in the 1930s in uh, the basically the British enclave in India, where they, you know, which they did in Shanghai and everywhere else, where you get to be British and act like you're British and pretend like you're still in England. Only you're not. And uh, fantastic. Uh, Julie Walters has just... Bec- she's just... Yeah. I Give that woman... A cr- give, make her the queen. She's so great. Uh, she's basically the, the what, what J.R. was to Dallas, she is to Indian Summers. Yeah. Uh, she's great. It's beautifully shot. Fantastic cast. Art Malik, uh, who was previously in Jewel in the Crown, is just terrific. Uh, and I'm so glad Rachel Griffiths is in this as well. And I love Rachel Griffiths. I haven't seen her in a while since Six Feet Under. So, uh, really a fabulous show. Uh, this is new on PBS. It's part of the, the Masterpiece thing. And in the wake of Downton Abbey going away, we need all the shows like this we can get. So, Indian Summers is fantastic. Don't miss it. Uh, Michael Fassbender in a film that I had not seen um, uh, called The Devil's Mistress. Yeah. Strikes me as interesting. What do you know about this one, Wade? Anything in particular? Uh, you know, I, just a little bit. Uh, I, I have not seen the entire thing. I've seen bits and pieces of it. It is. Uh, it, it's a. It's a. It's something of an okay period recreation of the English Civil War. Uh, when we think of things like A Field in England, which you and I saw for the radio, which mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. made for next to no money, and that yeah. was also set during the English Civil War, you you sort of think, well, why can't they do a little bit better? I mean, it, the production value could be better, probably should be better. Uh, this was made some time ago. This is, uh, I think this dates the to about 2009, so it's not really, really recent. But, um, it, you know, it's it, it's being put out now because Michael Fassbender is hot and awesome now, and so everybody wants to kind of dig up everything that he's done previously so anyway uh it, it, but it's it's okay devil's mistress um you know could be better should be better but uh peter capaldi and dominic west are in it so you have a good cast uh i have series one of agatha raisin this is an interesting series uh, this is an interesting television program because it's actually kind of funny agatha raisin is this yeah. pr executive uh, a high-powered PR executive, and she returns to her small town, right. right? and she becomes a sleuth, sort of like a, a Miss Marple, but she's still a PR executive right. uh, while, while she's solving crimes. It's kind of funny. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. This is season one. It's from Acorn, uh, behind-the-scenes featurette, and a few other things. The Disappearance uh, is also from Acorn. This is a two-disc set that is, uh, this is, even though it's from Acorn, it's not British television. It is French television, which is normally the, the domain of uh, MHC Networks. Uh, but in this case, it looks like the, uh, the Acorn people are expanding, and, uh, well, they should. This is a really, really, good, this is really, really good stuff, uh, especially for French television, which has been kind of uneven in, in, in these kinds of things. Um, but uh, this is a, a, a French uh, crime drama, and uh, all about a missing teenage girl, and uh, it is it is really well written and is really well acted and uh, incredibly well put together all around. Uh, most impressively, directed by Charlotte Brandstrom, a female mm. director who shows no who pulls no punches in uh, in dealing with all the the incredible horrible fallout of this uh, missing persons case. Really, mm. really good. Uh, outstanding. I have Winter, the complete series here, also from Acorn, two discs. Um, so this is about a uh, police detective, a homicide detective, a very, very good one, but decides she's not into it anymore, and she retires 
uh, or at least uh, pulls back from the war, goes to a small town. Uh, unfortunately, the small town that she goes to returns from, this is Australian series, uh, there is many murders and they're just as horrible as they were in the big city. So she finds herself being drawn back into the work. Again, another very sharp series featuring a very smart sort of Holmesian female detective. The Brits, the Australians, and New Zealand, they're all very, very good at that. Yeah. Uh, um, we do it to a certain extent here in the United States, but we don't generally speaking do it in the same way. Usually, when we have a sharp female detective at the center of something, uh, very often uh, you know she'll be the sidekick to a male detective. But even if she is a sharp female detective, she'll be a woman of a certain age uh, who's usually a little bit younger and usually wears tight black jeans, and very often is more about punching people out and curing it again. Yeah. The uh, Australia, the UK, uh, their smart female detective Helen Mirren is played one uh many many wonderful actors there they can be a little older and they're always a whole lot smarter and then uh we've got a few uh, three docs and then a few other little tv things we're going to hit before we uh cancel out here this week guilt season one originally from a series uh, from a network called freeform i have never heard of freeform uh lionsgate released this and i gotta say if this is what freeform puts on i'm not that impressed this is uh, essentially about a, it's a murder mystery, and uh, it, it gets very slimy and sleazy. It's not terribly well put together. Um, they try hard. I, you know, it's got some production value, but I can't say that I'm really impressed by the storytelling. Uh, let's see where it goes in the future. Uh, if anybody out there has seen Freeform, by all means, let us know, and let us know what this is by way of network. There are networks I just, I've never heard of. So, uh, gods at digigods.com. That's where you can always reach us. And then uh, Ancient Aliens Season 9 from History Channel continues to find all kinds of, uh, it just I don't know how they keep stretching this out. Uh, season after season, they just keep reaching and reaching and reaching. Uh, so here we go. We're, we're, uh, we're on nine years of Ancient Aliens, and uh, it, just feels, it just feels like they're really, really reaching. So I can't really recommend that either. Hee-haw, salute, collector's <laughs> edition. Uh, this is more five hours of, of uh, you know, southern attempt to do laugh-in in a way that appeals to the rural south. That's basically what it is. I'm not going to pretend like I did not, did this brother we all watched from it. the hood didn't spend a whole lot yeah. of very happy hours watching those goofballs. We watched it. Uh, we all watched it. Uh, a lot of good performances on here, basically. Tanya Tucker and Conway Twitty. And Mickey Gilly and Tammy Wynette and you know Freddie Fender. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of good stuff on here in terms of the performances. So that's where that's what's really worth checking out. And then lastly, on my little pile here, uh, I gotta really really highly recommend this: Batman: Return of the Caped Crusaders. This is a fascinating new animated movie, an amazing new animated movie that uh, DC and Warner Brothers have put together with animation that essentially replicates the old Batman TV show from the 1960s and which go it gets at least th- the the three remaining voice the, the the three remaining cast members of the original Batman show mm-hmm. come back to do voice talent in this. Oh. Adam West, Burt Ward and Julie Newmar who all, are all still they remaining. They are all still remaining. They're the only ones. Everybody else is gone, you know. Uh, Frank Gorshin and uh, Burgess Meredith, they're yeah, they're yeah, gone yeah, and yeah, Cesar yeah, Romero. Cesar Romero, and, yeah, 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 all gone. Uh, even Yvonne Craig, which breaks my heart. Yeah, uh, you that know. girl. So they're all gone, but uh, no, this. Uh, but otherwise, it is a really cool animated tribute 
to that original show. And I think what a great idea this is. And I hope they do more. This is a Blu-ray, DVD, and uh, ultraviolet combo set. Uh, it is smartly written. It is a lot of fun, and uh, the, the the voices that they get for the Joker and the Riddler and the Penguin are also really, really good and pay homage to the originals as well. So I thought this was a whole lot of fun. If you love the original show, you're going to really, really enjoy this. Uh, I got Preacher over here, season one, um, adaptation of a uh, graphic novel uh, series, as I understand it. I watched a good chunk of season one of this. It didn't captivate me. Um, uh, in, in particular, I, I, don't, I don't know the graphic novel series. So you got uh, you got uh, Dominique Cooper yeah. and Ruth Nega in this, who's oh really, yes, who's in, who, yes. quite good. Plays the vampire. It's about this a uh, whole sort of sort of. That's Ruth, who's thing. in who's in loving. She's in loving. Who's going to probably win an Oscar? I, I I put her on my list. Yeah. Uh, already. Anyway, uh, there's a, this is a Blu-ray gag reel, uh, chainsaw fight breakdown, behind the killing machine, Saint of Saviors, deleted scenes, extra scenes, all kinds of stuff. Uh, nice. Sort of an extension of the of the of the the uh, pilot there. Night of the night of. Uh, I don't know this. Are you familiar with this? Oh, night of. Yeah, or? yeah. Let me let me talk about that. Uh, yeah, night of. Uh, John Turturro, really really good in this. I. Um, it's called it's called what happened the, the night, night of. of. This is on a Blu-ray and ultraviolet uh, combo set. And this was on HBO recently, and uh, it is, uh, it's one of the, it, this is like the flip side to, what was the, uh, what was the uh, Ernie Hudson prison show? Oh, Oz. It? Oz, okay, this is not Oz. Okay. This is, this is, this is the anti-Oz, that's what this is. Um, this is all, this is basically looking at the, the, the grittiest, worst, most uh, deeply upsetting part of the current prison system. And uh, all of it kind of looking through the, a, like an Upper West Side uh, police investigation of a murder. And uh, it, is, uh, it, it is really, really upsetting. Um, they, they are pushing a lot of contemporary buttons, a lot of current political buttons in the current political debate, both centering around you know, things that have been said in the presidential campaign and, and before. And um, it, is, uh, it is very, very upsetting when you see the way that the criminal justice system works, the way it's depicted in this thing. Um, written, I should point out, by Steve Zalian, mm. of course, you know, Schindler's List, and, who just does a really fantastic number on it. It feels like something that um, probably should have been released theatrically, but it's so dour and so downbeat and so mm. depressing. I think HBO really is the only place that this could and should have wound up. Where people sort of deal with it. Yeah. Uh, I've got Beowulf Return to the Shetlands here, which is a sort of, you know, imagining of Beowulf yeah. returning to the Shetlands after having been away for a very long time. Yes. This is interesting in that uh, it has a number of notable people in it, including uh, William Hurt and Joanne Whaley, used to be Joanne yes. Whaley Kilmer. Yeah. Uh, years and years ago, who I haven't seen around uh, in a while. Um, this is an interesting sort of miniseries uh, swords, uh, wolves, stabbing, <laughs> yeah. cutting, hacking, yeah. slashing, uh, Beowulf. And the last three things we're going to talk about this week, uh, we're well past time. Uh, three docs should make mention of Hot Type, 150 Years of the Nation. Uh, this is from Barbara Koppel, who is one of our great living documentarians, especially with political subject. The Nation magazine. The Nation magazine, which uh, for those who have not necessarily followed it, it, it uh, the Nation has a fascinating uh, history. It was originally uh, a magazine of the Republican Party. Republican abolitionists created it uh, pre-Civil War. And then it eventually became a very, very kind of uh, liberal magazine in the New Deal mold. 
and um, it's recent. Which, which actually makes more sense than it sounds it, it like. It does. It makes a lot more sense. Yeah. yeah, it makes a lot more sense. And uh, wh- it, where it kind of went from there is is really fascinating and, uh, and, and a little bit depressing for, for people who were fans of it. But in any way, without giving anything away on the, on the arc of this documentary, Hot Type, 150 Years of the Nation, is really worth checking out just because Barbara Coppola is so damn good. And the magazine lasted 150 years. Yeah. The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, the movie, as long as we are on uh, political topics. Uh, this is, uh, you know, again, you, 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 some of this stuff you do have to take with the understanding that we are in a very, very political and, and uh, partisan season. So this is a point of view. It is not by any means all points of view. Uh, but it is, um, it's pretty upsetting, at least from this point of view, that... Uh, Greg Callist, who's a sort of activist docu- yes, documentarian, yes. He, he has a particular... Angle, uh, sort of left of center angle on things. Of course, everything's that now. When it comes but, to, like, I mean, the, the, it's you, hard you to, have to sit there and. Yeah, you, you, what you, what you can, would definitely take from this is that we do live in a time when it is very easy through I- the internet and the media and so forth. Money goes further than it ever has before, and it even though we have more splintered media than we've ever had before, you can reach an awful lot of people. With a relatively small amount of money and effort. Well, more... I think as we look at, and not that we're going to slide off yeah. too political here, as we look at this campaign, Donald Trump still has only spent about $50 million. True. But you know what? He didn't need to spend any more no. than that. Exactly. Uh, and of course, the last few people that we've been afraid were going to buy an election, including Mitt Romney, who didn't uh, or couldn't. Uh, you know, Jeb Bush yeah, uh, spent more money yeah. in one month trying to be Nate Donald Whitman Trump here in in, yeah. in, in in California. So Citizens United and all of that interesting, but it doesn't. It's not really playing out it's the not way the way people were afraid. The of way might. people thought the world is changing. Yeah. And the last one here, highest recommendation for from both of us uh, for Norman Lear, just another version of you, uh, the American Masters tribute to Norman Lear, plus 90, 90 plus years old, ninety two years old. Yeah. And and he's sharp as a tack and amazing. And, uh, you know, this is a on, on Blu-ray from PBS. It's such an amazing look at this giant in television history. Guy who changed television, changed society, changed Love the, the culture. Love the way that documentary is constructed, too. You, very often you have Norman Lear watching moments from Norman Lear programs. So and, he's sitting there and watching... deeply affected yeah, by it. ...these moments and those moments, and, and How, then commentating on what it is that he's just seen. You get into his personal life, his family, his early career, yeah. when he was when he was a writer on the, on the Martin and Lewis show, yeah. and those little bits where he'd show up on yeah. TV every once in a while. Uh, you know, Jerry Lewis would say, here's one of our writers, Norman. Norman, yeah. come out here. And, you, you know, I, I, I remember seeing those. You know why Norman's – this is, this is – I, I do not know if he says this in, in, in this documentary or not, but he probably does particularly. Is, are there any, is there anything behind any, any commentary or anything on that? Uh, there, is, uh, there is just uh, – not, no, not a commentary. There's Bill Moyer's thing about Norman Lear, just featurettes basically, uh, some casting stuff from Mary Hartman. That's about it. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know if he says it any place in that doc. I don't remember, but I've heard him uh, speak recently, I was at a thing. You know why he got into sitcoms? Residuals. Yeah. Sitcoms paid residuals. The other shows that he had been doing before. And he, and because he came from a very traditional Jewish family, he was raised to be a good provider. Yeah. You want to be a good provider. And that, that exact phrase, you know, you can hear every Jewish grandmother just tell you And if you know a little bit about his father, that becomes another sort of layered thing. Deeply, deeply layered document. So, such a great doc. All right. That's it. Tim, yeah. thanks for sitting in again. Mark will be back next next week, and then uh, we'll have you know we got we got two more shows, and then the big holiday show, and uh, it should be a good one. So, all right, email us at gods at digigods.com. Send us whatever you want, and uh, we will see you next week.